One Sacred Pause with Jessica Windurl. All right, welcome yogis to the One Sacred Pause podcast. My name is Jessica and I'm your host. And today um, we have a really interesting episode and I'm gonna be speaking to a yogi who is out in the world and in Scandinavia doing some really important work, um, specifically related to mental health, trauma, sensitive yoga applications, and clinical psychology. So I hope you're gonna enjoy this episode as much as I do. So I'd like to welcome Kristen Vickfjord Paternata. Hi. Hi. Good to be here. Yes, and we've actually known each other for a few years. Um, yeah. I love saying that in Norway. <laughs> Just because there's, you know, I, I haven't been here that long and as, as an immigrant, it's always kind of fun to be like, oh yes. Um, yeah. But you and I actually know each other through the Arctic Yoga Conference, which yes. is an amazing conference up north in Buddha that you uh, run. Yeah, so that's something we started actually. Um, it's already been eight um, years we've been running this conference, which has been such fun and, and hard work for us also. Um, and it started back in, in 2010. This idea came to me um, when I was in Vipassana, actually, and I, I thought, you know, we were moving back up to Norway, to, to Buddha, and I thought I really would like to um, invite teachers to come teach uh, to all the people in the community here, uh, but also so that we could uh, continue studying, uh, so I could continue studying, of course, also. and. Um, yeah, so that's where it started from, and it has just been uh, amazing. Really, really nice to see how the community here in the north uh, and the regions around also have grown a lot uh, in those eight years. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And it's <coughs> such a fun festival to come to, and, um, you know, you guys do a really nice job putting that on. So um, going strong, because so is next year going to be number nine? Uh, next year will be number nine. Yes. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. That's yeah, it is. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, so something I want to come back to, though, that you sort of just glossed over, <laughs> which I love so casually, uh, <laughs> Vipassana. This, yeah. you know, is a is a podcast ultimately about meditation and practices of stillness. And can you explain what Vipassana meditation is and tell us where you did it? I'm curious. Was it here in mm -hmm. Norway? No, I actually did this in, in Belgium because I was uh, at that time uh, living in Amsterdam. And um, yeah, so Vipassana meditation is the, um, uh, a specific uh, method of meditation from uh, Guenka. So it's this particular style. And you uh, sit in Vipassana for um, uh, 10 days and it's a you know, approximately 10 hours meditation or seated practice per day, guided by teachers uh, in the room. Um, but there is also these um, lectures or talks that is being recorded or sorry, being played from from Goenka uh, back in the days. So so you get to listen to the recordings, um, and it's a very uh, wonderful uh, method of. of learning to meditate it's kind of uh, intense also uh, I'd say you know just the fact that it's over 10 days and you you know go straight into 10 hours of seated practice every day but also because the first three days you know you're really just focusing on the sensations um, around your nose and then you start scanning through your body and uh, over the next days after that it's just a very specific way of learning to hold selective attention. Let mm. me just put it like that. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that definition. definition. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and, but it's beautiful. And then when you learn this method, you know, it's definitely going to make it a lot easier to do seated practice uh, or going more into mindfulness practices. Uh, the mindfulness practices we know in the West uh, from the different programs and protocols like MBSR, the mindfulness-based stress reduction program, or they are a lot uh, more loose, so to speak, in their methodology. In the sense that you know your your focus of attention, um, uh, you know, it's much wider, uh, and you get to kind of just observe anything that's moving um, in your awareness in a given moment. So, even though you learn first how to focus 
focus your attention to certain objects first, like for example, your breath or right. body sensations. It goes pretty fast, you know, out into a much wider uh, attention or awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. Is that your favorite way to meditate? The mindfulness one? Um, or the, or the either, or the Vipassana? Um, well, you know, the Vipassana, I did it uh, back then and um, haven't really returned to that now, I have to say. So, yeah, in my personal practice, I sit and I definitely um, allow whatever comes into the attention to move uh, through. If for some reason I'm more chaotic or more um, restless in my mind in that moment, uh, definitely starting with a uh, much more concrete focus of attention, like my breath. I really love that. So, uh, yeah, mindfulness practice it is. Yeah, oh, I love that. Mm. And do you have any um, advice for people who are new to meditating? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I would say, you know, as far as you can, seek up your local teacher, you know, and get support uh, and learn the practice from a teacher or instructor because it is, you know, um, quite something just to, to integrate um, the technique of how you do it because you get so many questions like, you know, I'm doing it wrong or, you know, I'm, my, my mind or my brain is not made for meditating or, you know, you feel the the monkey mind jumping or, you know, a lot of thoughts here and there, or a lot of emotions, a lot of restlessness, or maybe you feel like you want to fall asleep. You know, there's yeah. so many things that can pop up. That's like the first level or first <clears throat> hindrances that make us doubt uh, whether we are doing it correct. You know, so we have to overcome that. And to overcome that, I really believe in having a teacher, you know, it's very helpful to have a teacher to remind us. And then, it's much easier to continue on your own either by, you know, there's so many wonderful apps you can use or, or online um, uh, programs. Yeah, but, I, you know, I recommend people following a course first. Yeah. And continue on your own. Yeah. Do you know of any meditation courses in either um, Holland or in Norway that might be a good resource for people who are interested in learning more about meditation? Mm. That's a great question. So I can't really think of any just, you know, immediately, but yeah. I think plenty out there if you if you start looking in your local community. And, you know, I think, you know, people should always check in with their local yoga studio first um, for, for meditation courses or even mindfulness-based uh, courses in the area. Great. Yeah, I think that's also a good way to start, and that's how – you know, hopefully in the yoga community as teachers, you and I both, um, we want to encourage and support the people that we teach to ask questions and to, you know, kind of figure out, like, not just take everything for granted or take everything as gospel, so to speak. Like, yeah. you know, because especially in the age of technology where, you know, so many people, their first inclination is to go online and Google. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then they find an online meditation course on YouTube or they find a yoga asana course for free on YouTube. And, you know, unfortunately the reality is, is that some of those teachers are not actually qualified. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of misinformation floating out there that could potentially harm somebody. And yeah. so I think checking in with your local teacher, your local studio, and being like, hey, this is what I'm interested in. Do you have any resources or anywhere you could direct me to look that's a reputable source or a reputable teacher yeah. is really great advice. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's good. You know, and in the end of it all, these practices are experience-based, you know, so it's really, you know, in the hand of the practitioner, of the one uh, being in the practice, so that's why it's so important to have a, a, a teacher that is qualified and that have practiced, uh, yeah. you know, and are practicing. And so they can really uh, guide you to find uh, your seat in the practice and how a, a practice can work for you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I want to move into... Um, a little bit of the work that you're doing outside of the Arctic Yoga Conference. And um, something that's also really amazing and impressive is you and your husband also own and run um, five yoga studios in Holland, uh, yeah. Delight Yoga. 
Yes. The Delight Yoga in Holland. Yeah, so that was actually kind of a love story starting off. You know, I met my husband in Amsterdam. I was teaching there for an event that I was invited to teach yoga. And um, we uh, fell in love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, after a year, I actually um, moved to Amsterdam. And he had this studio uh, where he was, uh, you know, he had this um, renting it out uh, to there was one other yoga teacher and there was other kind of you know self-development groups and such and he was giving his uh, Reiki course there and I said you know I really want to teach yoga here so I started teaching yoga and then I said what can can we set up the website you know that we can you know put out the information and he had already registered the domain delight yoga because his company was called delight and then from there on you know we started there was like in the beginning um you know, it was just two classes a week and there was in the beginning, no people showing up. <laughs> so we were very diligently, you know, every morning at seven, we're sitting there and one person would come and then three people and then again, no one. And, you know, it, it took a year to really just spread the word in Amsterdam about a new place where you could practice yoga. And, uh, yeah, little did we know that moment that this would grow into um, five studios. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been quite a journey. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that's so amazing. It's, mm. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this who work at studios or own studios know how much work it is just to keep one running and afloat. And, you know, to, to be able to run five, I think, is really amazing. Yeah, it's been quite a, a journey and a lot of hard work. The secret, I think, you know, most people know is to find the right people to do the right, uh, to do the right things. Yeah. Yeah. So you must, especially now that you and your husband and your family, your children have moved back to Norway. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's probably even more important now to really make sure that the managers you have in place are people that you just absolutely trust and they have, you know, that ability to make the decisions and not have to check in with you for every little thing. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, there's a fantastic management team and uh, fantastic um, uh, teacher teams. Um, we have a spiritual guider in Katya Satya. And no, it's just, it's really a really good community, solid community in Delight Yoga. That's awesome. That's, mm. I have not been to Amsterdam yet. So at some point I'll go and I'll definitely <laughs> go check out one of the studios. And then, so, so that's kind of, you know, the chapter that's already been written, so to speak, in your life um, yeah. a little bit. So what's the, what are the upcoming projects or what can you share about those? Yeah, so I have uh, the yoga facilitator training that I developed uh, together with Janice Gates. So Janice was the first, one of the first presidents of International Association of Yoga Therapists. So she uh, is teaching in um, nearby uh, San Francisco. She's connected to Spirit Rock. She was one of my teachers there. And um, I've been uh, running for uh, some years here already in Norway and in Amsterdam. I've done this training, advanced training, um, mindful yoga as applied practice um, into more uh, particular populations because I know there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, yoga teachers and now also yoga therapists, um, healthcare workers and so forth that uh, teach or want to teach in um, populations that have uh, mental health uh, issues or conditions in you know various ways which you have to take into consideration when you're teaching uh, so that could be in populations like um, prisoners and uh, in the clinical settings in hospitals or in recovery uh, many, many, many different um, uh, organizations or institutions and so forth. And uh, I was lucky to, to start teaching yoga very early on, um, you know, before I was finishing my, my psychology degree. Uh, in practicum, my, my leaders where I was in practicum, they asked me to um, teach yoga with the patients, with the different patient groups, mm -hmm. uh, so were from uh, eating disorders to um, addictions, um, anxiety, depression, trauma. Uh, so I did that. So I was very lucky to be able to do that. And also we, you know, we did pilots on it. So really evaluating, you know, what, what works, what doesn't work. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I 
up through the years, I got a lot of requests from, from other teachers and yogis and healthcare workers that wanted to bring it in, in their workspace, or, you know, they would also see, you know, the value uh, or the benefit to bring it in. And therefore I developed this program. Uh, now we have the, the 300 hour program of yogi facilitator for professionals that would like to teach uh, in any kind of way to uh, improve uh, emotional well-being and uh, mental health. Mm. That's, I mean, so amazing and such very important work. I mm. think more yeah. more so than ever in terms mm. of modern society and mm. just so many of the issues that you know, the average person's dealing with, let alone people that are in an even more um, heightened situation. Mm -hmm. yeah. So where the people that first were requesting this additional training and, you know, how to learn how to bring yoga and meditation into the more clinical settings, mm -hmm. was that more in Holland or was that in Norway? You know, it was actually both places because, you know, we, we've been living and working uh, sort of between Buddha and Amsterdam the yeah. last 10 years. Wherever I was teaching I got these requests um, I'm currently also uh, mentoring the prison yoga project in Holland which is by the way they're doing a fantastic job um, you know under the model of James Fox oh wow. Uh, oh wow yeah it's really great and they are expanding to several uh, prisons in Holland and looking for teachers of course that is uh, you know have the right uh, requirements or competence to to go in and teach in these different uh facilities because it's also quite varying you know the, the each prison in itself and um, and the population and and so forth for example yeah for for them teachers that are a part of their program um, um but also healthcare workers in general that have done you know they maybe they would have done a, a mindfulness-based course or taking some of these mindfulness-based protocols that we have and use in, in um, clinical settings, um, but they see the value of bringing in more, um, you know, body-based or movement-based practices. So actually, um, what I have seen, and obviously a lot of my colleagues who are more in this field, um, is that uh, the higher the symptom pressure is in, in any kind of... Um, you know, if it's a, a mental health uh, disease or condition, is that the higher the symptom pressure is, uh, the more difficult or challenging it would be, and sometimes also counter-indicative to bring in a mindfulness uh, meditation, you know. So because of that, but we saw that also there's a big value of bringing in the movement. So therefore, uh, teaching um, or facilitating mindfulness through movement so through yoga asana mm -hmm. certain sequences of asanas is extremely valuable um so this is something we've seen um why also uh, the yoga facilitator program come up and running to really you know teach people uh that would like to share this the you know differentiating between the different conditions uh what is needed uh when um, and what is not going to work, what's actually going to be less helpful uh, to do for certain conditions. Mm. Yeah, well, and you and I have had this conversation before, and there were a couple of things that you told me that I wasn't aware of, and a lot of this specific area of yoga is new to me. I don't typically work with patients who are in special populations or, or clients who are in special populations, mm -hmm. um, but one of the things that you had told me, you know, in general, there's sort of this, not myth, but this belief system about yoga and meditation are good for everyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no matter what's going on, yoga yeah. and meditation are the answer. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, you sort of opened my eyes to this idea that actually if somebody is in a very, um, you know, for lack of a better word, and then you can correct my vernacular here, <laughs> a traumatic situation, or they're really in the middle of something going on with anxiety or depression or, you know, recovery from whatever specific trauma, um, hopefully they are working with somebody who's a qualified professional, a clinician, yeah. a doctor, and that individual would likely need to get their specific symptoms under control first from more of an allopathic mm -hmm. viewpoint, a more medical viewpoint. 
mm-hmm. before being able to dive in and introduce some of the yoga and meditation practices. Mm-hmm. Because it, there is a risk that if they are so ungrounded or unstable or something, whatever the symptoms are, mm-hmm. the, the risk is that the yoga or like you just said, the meditation specifically might mm-hmm. actually do harm and pull them further away from a path of recovery. Yeah. 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 So actually what it is, because I really want to nuance this debate or this, you know, statement of, you know, yoga mindfulness is, you know, perfect for everything. It's going to be helpful for everything. It's not. Uh, And what I mean with that is, is like I said before, you know, depends on the symptom pressure. So what do I mean with that is like how, where you're at in your current uh, condition or disease or disorder for that matter. Um, you can only imagine, of course, if we talk about anorexia um, and low body weight, uh, it's obviously not good to go into Mysore program or Shanga mm-hmm. or more dynamic uh, yoga classes, you know, um, and for example, if you have um, uh, currently uh, in a uh, severe depressive episode, uh, it is not recommended to do uh, mindfulness practices, seated practices. Um, or for that matter, you know, if you would do um, yin yoga, also very silent practices, also not recommended if you're in a severe uh, depressive state. You know, so um, and obviously when we talk about uh, trauma, um, so trauma in um, mental health, we define it as uh, if you have experienced, uh, seen or been um, uh, exposed to yourself near death or very uh, harmful um, experiences, violence, uh, abuse, um, so mental or psychological. Um, so then um, uh, for, for trauma treatment, uh, there's a whole, you know, uh, I really believe in, in integrated uh, treatments. So where you have a, a team of um, experts, you know, like a multidisciplinary team around um, to, to ensure that you get the best and the right treatment. So of course, um, hopefully everyone know by now, you know, the work of, uh, David Emerson and Bessel van der Kolk, uh, Bessel wrote the book, the body keeps the score. He's yes. in a psychiatrist. Yeah. In, in, uh, in trauma and, and David, a wonderful, uh, yoga teacher, uh, that developed this program, uh, the trauma sensitive yoga program. Uh, for uh, trauma patients and uh, that's actually the only uh, yoga program that is evidence-based when we talk about mental health uh, per now per per day date Um, and um, there's a lot you know there's like a whole field uh, to that and where patients are you know step by step um, exposed to being in their own body again, you know, but allowing them to feel safe in their own body again. So it's quite a project. And, um, yeah, I, I, I remember we had Shirley Tellis. She's an eminent researcher of yoga globally. And she was here in Arctic yoga conference, uh, one of the first few years. And, you know, she said at one point, yoga is yoga. Uh, meaning like, you know, all, all yoga is yoga. And, and then later on in that um, uh, conference, we had an Ashtangi teacher and, and uh, he was guiding us through lead, lead class, primary series. And Shirley was starting off together with us with the sun salutations. And then very fastly, she sat down with big round eyes. <laughs> I thought, yeah, no, yoga is not yoga. Yoga is maybe yoga, but, you know, it's not the same. Oh, yoga is not the same. And I really want to emphasize that for all of you that, that work as a yoga teacher and moving towards becoming yoga therapists, which I think is awesome, you know, keep doing that. Uh, but just make sure to really uh, educate yourself. There's so much information out there. Uh, and together with, um, with, you know, multidisciplinary team can be fantastic in, in uh, preventive health, uh, for recovery uh, and also in treatment uh, of various mental health conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And I absolutely agree with you there. And there's two things I'd like to 
touch back upon. So the first one is what you just said about continuing to educate yourself as a yoga teacher. And this is something I emphasize a lot in my teacher trainings at the Atman Yoga School is if you do want to work within these special populations, you must have additional training. Yeah, You can't just graduate from a 200-hour or even just a, a regular 300-hour teacher training, an advanced training, and yeah. necessarily have the skills that you need to be helpful and not harmful mm -hmm. when working with these populations. Like I would not feel comfortable personally working one-on-one -on -one in, in a more yoga therapeutic setting with somebody who has, you know, severe anxiety, for example. Mm -hmm. Like I just wouldn't know what might be a trigger or what might actually be helpful for them. Yeah. And I think right now there's, it's almost like a buzzword trauma. Yeah. So this is the second thing. And you and I have talked about this in the past too, that mm -hmm. was really eye opening for me. Mm -hmm. So with this sort of buzzword of trauma and everything's mindful and everything's, you know, everything in life is apparently a trauma. Yeah. And this is of course coming from somebody who's uneducated in the clinical definition. Mm -hmm. And you were very clear. You're like, well, we need to be specific about the definition of trauma. And yeah. like you said before, it's somebody who's perhaps coming from a war-torn region or somebody or the caregiver of a cancer patient mm -hmm. or somebody who survived perhaps domestic abuse or sexual abuse. Yeah. But when we're talking about other things such as anxiety or everyday depression, yeah, that, yeah. according to the clinical definition, does not fall under trauma. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, no. So, so indeed, what you said, you know, the clinical definition or or categorization of trauma is indeed if you have uh, been witnessing or been exposed to yourself um, a severe um, or life threatening injury, uh, either physical or uh, psychological. The the more broader use of the word trauma, perhaps in yoga communities, or you know, I'm really pro you know, the whole uh, millennials or generation Y is that, you know, we are also part of this generation uh, perfectionism. So uh, I'm very pro to talk about, you know, how to uh, manage and master life between uh, ease and unease and that um, life is challenging. You know, that's one thing we know for sure. Mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> It's challenging, and there will be moments where it's going to be really hard. Um, and you know how that expresses if you know your nervous system is prone to express it through anxiety, or um, if there's hereditary you know factors for for depression and so forth. But that's definitely not a, a trauma um, as we define it now. And there's a lot of you know I really I think it's. Uh, fantastic to have an open communication or sorry dialogue about things that are difficult and challenging um, without it necessarily having to be defined as a trauma if you understand what I mean yeah yeah like we almost need another word <laughs> to sort of put those other things into that are very important and very difficult and absolutely are real yeah yeah, and I like to talk about inner dark, you know, how we move from, from inner dark, our inner dark, to find our inner spark, so to speak, uh, because we all have it, you know, that's part of our pathology, it's part of being a human and living embodied, you know, being in this embodied experience. Um, but for some reason, this stigma around uh, mental health, uh, or mental yeah, mental health conditions, um, it's still lingering a lot, which is you know a shame. I really think it. it I, I urge uh, it to be more openness around it. Yeah, I am so in agreement with you about that. And it's as a yogi, as first as a student, and second as a teacher. Yeah, it's actually something that I personally love to spend a lot of time with is the idea of the duality between the darkness and the light. That yeah. is <laughs> who we are as, yeah. you know, spiritual beings having a human experience. And I think it requires a lot of courage to go down that path and start to investigate and shine a light into some of those darker corners of our being. Mm -hmm. And I get it. It's hard. And if you have a lot of 
instability in your life already, then maybe, you know, there, it's not the right time for that type of inquiry to occur. But yeah. what I would love to see in the future, and this is part of the work that you're doing, is making it part of an open conversation that's supportive and inclusive and, you know, kind of the message of when you're ready, there is a space for you to do that work. And yeah. along those lines, you know, making it more open in society in general. So it's not something that has to be hidden and, you know, impacting rates of suicide because people feel such deep shame and guilt about their mental health and not feeling like they're allowed to talk about it or they don't want to be judged for talking about what's really going on with them. And, you know, it's just even more so, and I'm sure you see this in your work all the time, influenced by social media and yeah. this idea that we're becoming even more disconnected from reality, yeah. meaning yeah. what we put online is the shiny version of ourselves that we're hoping yeah. other people believe. <laughs> yeah. And then we're, we're absolutely stuffing down and rejecting and not even acknowledging the reality. Okay, maybe you had a nasty fight with your partner. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe you yeah. are struggling with food disorders or you know, yeah. all these other things that on any given day, an average human being is struggling with something. Yeah. And it's no longer in many societies okay to talk about that or post it on social media. And it's just, it's very, very sad because I feel like in some, some small way or maybe a big way, social media has actually regressed the progress we've made as humans and <laughs> medically speaking, uh, mental health speaking. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, good points you have there. So I totally agree. You know, social media is, um, <laughs> that's a beast in <laughs> several ways. You know, there's a lot of aspects to it. You know, we can't just, we, we won't get around it. You know, it's yeah. here to stay. And, and, and there's also a lot of psychosocial aspect to it, which we will see for next few generations that we really, you know, even for us, you know, really have to put our mind into understanding how social interactions will continue onwards uh, but that's a whole different debate but but for sure I, I agree with you that it's it's contributing to its regression um, because like I mentioned you know Millennials or generation perfectionism is really we are the ones primarily uh, in social media as well and um, what you see what you you get exposed to there is actually increasing you know the the discrepancy between the per the perceived life of others or yourself even uh and how you're actually doing you know so there's also a, a code to crack there in how to accurately um communicate that through social media and i think um yeah there's a lot more we we need to have to say in that uh, debate uh before it's really uh, yeah more beneficial Hey, yogi, are you ready to deepen your yoga practice and gain the tools to confidently teach a yoga class? Join the Atman Yoga School for one of their next teacher trainings in Norway with 200 and 340 hour programs and weekend immersions offered around the country. These trainings offer an inclusive, warm and supportive community and are designed to serve the needs of the modern yogi while honoring the ancient wisdom of yoga and Ayurveda. Check out their website today for more information on the upcoming trainings at atmanyogaschool.com. That is atman, A-T-M-A-N, yoga school, in one word, dot com, atmanyogaschool.com. Join the tribe today. I also wanted to say something back to you. You said something about being ready to, to move into a space where you can do more inquiry. I really loved how you put that, and, and I so agree. You know, in general, I say when it comes to change work, Hmm. Uh, um, especially you know what we do through through yoga and mindfulness based meditations we go into this layer of uh, inquiry you know that's that's really the self-discovery and the juice uh, of the insights you know and um, I very often say this that you know if you are if you think of a dimension you know of, of uh, states we can be in or conditions it's like we can be in uh, feeling uh, at ease 
And then next one is unease, and then you have disease and disorder. And the two latter ones, disease and disorder, is where symptoms uh, are more frequent, and they really start, you know, they have disturbed your general uh, functioning level in, in everyday life. But when we are in the phases of unease and ease, the two first ones, that's where we really can do the work of of inquiry, you know, where we can do this, these practices and where we can benefit from them, uh, fully. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think in those two top spaces, yeah, we're stable enough and whatever's going on in our life to recognize that, uh, whatever we're feeling in a given moment is temporary. Yeah. So whether that's the ease or like, man, I'm having a great day, everything's going great. Hopefully, mm -hmm. You know, especially if we're practicing yoga, it's been brought to our attention. We've been taught, okay, that's temporary. Yeah. And then we have a bad day or something happens and yeah, we might be a little upset, but it's not going to send us into this tailspin. We're like, all right, take a few deep breaths. Yeah. This is temporary. Yeah. You yeah. know. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, the more long-term um, benefits that we have from these practices. We, we, we practice them when we are, you know, um, less in darkness, so to speak, or less, um, um, not struggling so much or have less symptoms uh, of disease. Uh, because when we then are in more difficult spaces or in difficult times, uh, we have them more accessible to us, like you just say so beautifully, you know, then you can draw upon that uh, knowledge, you know, make it as a wisdom for yourself. You, you know, you remember it is going to pass, you know, I know that it's going to pass, but for now it's like this. I'd love to hear more about your clinical experience broadly, of course, um, because as we're talking about doing this kind of work and using yoga and meditation, for more of the self-development in terms of our life satisfaction and perhaps healing trauma or healing uh, other disorders that we have or have experienced. You know, I think about Ayurveda and yes. in Ayurveda, it's the emphasis is really put on the emotional body because yeah. if we have repressed emotion, if we have unprocessed emotion, it gets stuck in the body. And ultimately, then it presents as a physical ailment or a, a symptomatic ailment in the physical body. And, you know, thinking about that tradition and its very holistic approach to healthcare and um, wellness, it yeah. absolutely makes sense. Like, of course, we have to be looking at our mental body and our emotional body before mm -hmm. we look at the physical body. Like, we don't want to just treat the symptom. Mm -hmm. We want to treat the root cause of the disease or disorder. And, you know, for me, it's like such a no-brainer. It's like, oh my gosh, of course, we have to spend time with emotion. Yeah. But then when you bring that into more of the Western world approach to healthcare and medicine, mm -hmm. the emotional body is almost completely disregarded. Yeah. It's like, mm. oh, you've got a sore throat. Okay, take this pill. Oh, you've got that going on. Take this pill. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess, you know, in a way that the model we have here in Norway is more fragmented, uh, definitely, you know, than holistic or and more integrated Ayurvedic approach. Um, of course, I know that, you know, in the U.S., of course, it's even more uh, fragmented in the sense of the medication, you know, like you refer to, you know, it's often like, you know, take this pill and then you will feel better. And Actually, I, I think I disagree with you a little, Kristen, on that point. Yeah. Not yeah. about the medication. Absolutely, yeah. Americans are way over-prescribed unnecessary medications. Yeah. But in terms of perhaps the attitude around mental health, yeah. um, my experience as an American, now living in yeah. Norway, um, yeah. is that in, in America, the conversation just seems a little bit more open about mm -hmm. mental health. And, yeah. uh, and then in Norway, my experience has been that it's unfortunately, again, just my experience, yeah. um, almost non-existent yeah. in terms of support and help for people who are experiencing anxiety, depression, and mm -hmm. really struggling with mental health. And I'm yeah. speaking from you know, experience as a, as a cancer survivor. I'm speaking of as yeah. experience having met a lot of different people through my line of work and, and running yeah. the Atman Yoga School. And, you know, people share things with me. And it's it's been very disappointing to hear that and yeah. to hear doctors' responses to somebody who comes in, has the bravery to go into the doctor and say, hey, I'm really struggling. 
And then the doctor says, I don't believe you. I think you're just a control freak. And, you know, maybe I'll put you on a waiting list to see a, a, a therapist eight months from now. And it's, it's just such a huge disconnect. But I wonder, what do you see in your clinical yeah. position? Well, I'm, of course, the one receiving uh, the ones that get referred in the end. So, so yeah, I, you know, I, from, the, from the physician's point of view, uh, the one that are first line and, and receiving, I don't, you know, I'm going to be careful to say, but what I do believe is that um, there is a, a paradigm shift and a generational shift also in doctors, medical doctors, um, because um, people, we are the patients also go to our doctors, are more educated. We know more about um, emotional uh, health and mental health. So questioning, you know, their uh, replies mm. and asking for help in another way. Um, you know, I, I want to say also in Norway, it might also be related to, in general, there's too few psychologists. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's a, a, that's why all these wait lists, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> but I don't know. But I, I, I choose to believe that there is a, a, a shift in the attitudes uh, due to generation shift uh, in, in um, you know, all through healthcare system and uh, that we are in the midst. I mean, I've seen this in, in psychology, of course, for the last decade. Um, there's been a, a huge paradigm shift in more body-based therapies, um, also now emphasizing the emotional revolution. I saw last, it was a big conference in Bergen. So uh, where uh, contemplative psychotherapy and practices are brought much more in. So the integrated view uh, towards health and lifestyle, you see this also with more functional uh, medicine uh, popping up. Uh, it's coming, you know, it, it's on its way. Um, but it, it, it takes a little time, uh, before it's infused, you know, in, in all over the line. Absolutely. And yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to be absolutely negative about this. Oh, um, and I, this. Yeah. it's again, you know, my intention is always to create dialogue Yeah, and with the ultimate goal of getting to a place of, of self-healing and self-understanding. And that's the practice of yoga. You know, yeah. we, we start with the superficial layers of the asana and then we move through the pranayama and eventually we get to the focus and the, the meditation. And it's so important to be taking care of all of these layers of our being. Yeah. And, you know, my only point here is that it's, it's disappointing and frustrating when the system in place does not support your belief about yeah. the integration of all the, the parts of our, our being. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I can totally understand that. And I agree. I, I feel it's so important that, um, you know, what you said also about, you know, investigating into the emotional body, um, this emotional um, place of being for us. You know, I have two small boys growing up. And I really believe the, the importance of having this into the general educational uh, programs, you know, in schools about emotional health what is it how does it work because for some reason and i think you know we can we can if you look at bigger lines from from after the second world war or even you know a century back um when uh, western societies kind of leaned towards uh, science and moved away from organized religions um in that sense we also uh, lost some contact with spirituality in the sense of um, you know, bigger framework for understanding um, life and how it is to be alive. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, we should go back to these organized religions <laughs> yeah. that want it to be spiritual, but I, I, you know, I define spirituality as, as how you as an individual find meaning uh, in your life and what is, you know, occurring to you, uh, which is super important, you know, to, to find a, a understanding and, and make sense um, of your life. Um, and I really believe that because of this shift that has been, you know, from the last centuries, um, we also see a huge increase in mental health uh, disease in, in the same timeline. 
So it's interesting, and without drawing some concrete conclusions, you know, what I started off with saying that I really believe that we need to teach our next uh, generations about emotional health, how to, um, yeah, live between ease and unease, you know, how to embody uh, our darkness uh, that is obviously there, you know, for everyone. So as you say, you know, when there is anxiety, uh, and depression that uh, the doctor will not say, well, <laughs> you're control freak. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially if somebody's really struggling and they need help, yeah. I think that's a different situation than somebody who's just having a bad day. Yeah. And along the ideas of education about mental, or I'm sorry, not mental health, but emotional health. Yeah. Being able to accurately identify these emotions that we you know, quote unquote, assign a judgment to a negative judgment, like anger and fear, anxiety, stress, those are all valid and real. But how do we shift away from having this immediate uh, aversion to them? Like, oh, that's bad. I don't want to experience that. And rather be like, you know, you as a mother, perhaps having these conversations with your sons about, okay, well, if you have a bad day, or you have a fight with your friend, how does that make you feel? Yeah. And mm -hmm. and making it okay to have those emotions come up without it being like, oh, okay, we'll just think a positive thought. Yeah. Which of course there is some validation about that method as well, but we can't just have that spiritual bypassing of like, oh, hashtag oh. blessed life is so great. Yeah. Like just ignore the bad things. No, it's the full integration yeah. of, of the, the perceived negative with the perceived uh beneficial. Yeah. And yeah, and I'm so glad you mentioned that spiritual bypass because it is indeed so, you know, how do we hone in on those insights from our inquiry practice? It's because we are listening into uh, when we get those uh, insights indeed, you know, like how does it all hang together these experiences that I have, you know, where does this pattern of thinking coming from? Where does this pattern of um, uh, feelings coming from? Um, you know, you were talking about emotions. Yeah, how to, how are we going to teach ourselves and of course the next generation to embody what we actually, they're called negative emotions, you know, that in the first place, you know, <laughs> like, okay, that's bad, you know, let's not, you know, feel that. Um, no, indeed. And I agree with you. You know, that's also something you see through social media that, you know, wake up and look in the mirror and you can choose who you're going to be today. Yeah. <laughs> just, and then I'm like, uh, well, there was just quite a few steps to just jump there. Uh, if you are struggling <laughs> with depression or anxiety, you would look at that and say, why can I just think differently? Why can I just be differently? Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing it wrong or, you know, something wrong with me. No, there is not something wrong with you. It's human. You mm. know, it's normal. Um, and those kind of messages to those people who share those kind of things, please stop doing that. Please be more nuanced. Um, I think that, yeah, we, we, we need to, uh, for us, of course, as teachers and, and as a psychologist, but we need to take the responsibility to show how this can be done, you know, how uh, to embody um, times of difficulty, uh, not with just thinking positively, uh, but doing the work, you know. How do you embody your own inner darkness? Mm -hmm. and, mm, how do you get through that? Yeah. I am just sitting over here nodding my head in agreement because, you know, I say this fairly often about things. As a yogi, <laughs> we have to show up day in and day out. We have to do the work. And unfortunately, there's no shortcut and there's no way to make it more sexy. <laughs> you just have to do the work. And sometimes it's a, it's a sledge. Yeah. And the the payoff or the payout though is this for myself anyways is just this unshakable belief in my connection to source or connection to spirit that is what for me creates the optimism and positivity in my life it's it's not this external validation from from other people or other sources it actually is something that comes from deeply within myself yeah. because I've done the work and because I've been willing to go into these places of myself that are yeah. perhaps darker and scarier. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, like that does require courage. Yeah. For anybody on a spiritual path, we have to have courage and bravery and 
it's not a lack of fear. It's doing the work in spite of our fear. Mm. And I think a lot of that fear stems from the unknown. Mm. It's so much easier to be able to name what we see in an external basis Mm -hmm. rather than be like, gosh, if I start digging into myself and doing the inquiry and self-reflection, like, what am I going to find? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. what if I find something that I'm not completely comfortable with? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where that fear stems for a lot of people. They're like, no, no, I'll just kind of shove it under the rug and I'll just kind of stick with what's, you know, sort of working yeah. <laughs> because it's no, it's a known rather than an unknown. Yeah. 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 And that's such a, a beautiful way of saying it. And I, you know, I salute you for doing that work. It is really hardcore. And I, I, you know, I totally agree. It is actually, and that's, that's, you know, when we talk about disease and disorder, you know, where it becomes more um, really disruptive for for every functional level is that, you know, why um, staying with habits, staying with way of thinking and emoting that is harming yourself? Why do we get stuck there, you know, as, as human beings? It's because, indeed, what you say that, you know, it is more familiar. It is more familiar, even though it's harmful, even if it's not serving you. It's more familiar to be there than moving into the unknown. So if we cannot see the value of what's in the unknown, we are not ready to make that shift. We're not ready to make that change. So it's a very um, thorough and subtle process of getting ready to make those shifts. And little by little, you know, of course it's very individual, but how you, what you say also, so courageously moving towards your darkness, turning towards it and looking like what what is why is it here what is it um where does it come from or you know i don't mean that you have to investigate everything in your childhood yeah (laughs) that's not it but but just the fact of of courageously holding um and acknowledging that yeah this this is a part of me that's um it's wounded or you know it's it's dark or it's it's difficult Um, Yeah. And I want to be clear, like I am not at all (laughs) a master or very far in this process at all for myself. You know, it's it's definitely a daily practice. And um, again, coming back to that idea, like for me and my role as a teacher, like I see that as being more of like a support system and encouraging people to be on their own path and do their own investigation and their own journey. That's for the average person who is in those top two layers of ease and perhaps uh, unease. Yeah. And then I think when people are are moving down into those two other areas, what was that? Yeah. The the disease and the disorder. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's when it's it's incredibly important to go to a professional like yourself or go to a doctor. And you know, I also want to be clear about one other thing, which is even though I really agree with and identify and practice Ayurvedic medicine, I definitely think there is still a place for allopathic Western medicine that's very helpful when used appropriately. So medications and other interventions. And so my hope would be that there would be a way, kind of like what you were talking about earlier, Mm. to have a more integrated approach to treatment for people who are experiencing something in those other, the bottom two levels yeah, where perhaps they have choice or they have an option to, you know, go do acupuncture and take herbs in addition to Mm. seeing the psychologist or the psychiatrist and taking antidepressant medication or whatever it is for them specifically. And I think there are many people on both sides who are a little radical and extremist in their views, meaning there are some people in the natural health world who are like, oh my gosh, never ever take a pill. It's going to kill you. It's big pharma. Never ever, like you can cure cancer if you do a, what do they call it? Like the cayenne cleanse or Mm. (laughs) like the quack health advice. And then I think there's the extremists on the other end, like the allopathic medicine, like science is the only God. Yeah. And if you try and take herbs or you try and do something else, like it's just fluff 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'm so glad you bring this up and I, I totally agree. And I, I see this also for the future, you know. I think, you know, it started already, but the more integrated um, attitude and approach towards uh, health and lifestyle in general, you know, it's, it's definitely needed. And indeed, because, you know, we know a lot from, from modern science um, about healthcare. We know a lot, which we didn't know which which wasn't known you know before uh, and um uh, eastern approaches has a lot to offer as well uh, but together uh it's much more stronger you know and we can definitely have i i, I agree with you you know i i hope to see also a healthcare system much more integrated and mm. getting so, back to agency to each and every individual for their health that's what i hope to see mm. So when, when you work with your patients and you're integrating yoga and meditation, what are the results that you start seeing? When the different uh, groups that we've had, um, there's been different things we've, we've seen, but <clears throat> in general, what we see the most immediate ones are more uh, in, in uh, relation to uh, lifestyle so they get a more positive um, uh, wish for their uh, general health. For example, stopping to smoke or reducing cigarettes, uh, because that's often an addition to, to more um, severe disorders. Um, so that the, the first awareness of, okay, I have a body, um, it is not doing good. Uh, I think I would like to change the way I eat, um, the way, uh, yeah, smoking, uh, caffeine, and, and so forth. Uh, we've also seen a lot of um, positive results uh, for the way of experiencing being in their body that they discover that, oh, it's not a constant uh, um, intensity here, you know, they're they discovering that, oh, it's, it's a passing and a rising of uh, anxiety, for example, or very worrying thoughts, um, or in regards of more um, chronic uh, muscle pains or joint pains, they would discover that, oh, it's not all the time, it's also passing and arising. Uh, and I think the most essential, and which I love, you know, the the fact of noticing their breath you know mm. noticing that the breath is there and <clears throat> you can actually regulate the breath how you inhale exhale and how the breath can help you regulate you know the, the parasympathetic toning of the nervous system to the at ease mode a huge discovery uh, for everyone partaking in the different groups uh, that we've had uh, so this is very interesting and you know it's it's yeah isn't it astonishing that's what I'm thinking you know like this is for, to have to discover that we have a breath that is so to our nervous system which can help us to regulate it uh, down or up it's pretty fantastic I think yeah oh I mean it's the body never ceases to amaze me and it's mm. so intelligent and it actually for me personally it's really inspiring when I have these little breakthroughs for myself and I'm like oh my gosh yeah. It really brings me back to the idea that the answers are within. Mm. <laughs> if we if we can tune in enough, if we can get out of our own way, if we can yeah. calm that monkey mind chatter enough mm -hmm. to, you know, pick up on the messages that our, our physical body is giving us, to pick mm. up on the emotional messages we're receiving, to pick up on the mental messages. Mm. And, you know, one of the things that I love to talk about too is really moving into more practices of stillness and yeah. rest. Yeah. You know, it's our society, of course, we all know this is so busy, so crazy technologies everywhere mm -hmm. and everybody's chronically exhausted and yeah. our, all of our systems are overloaded. Our mind, like we can't find a second of peace because our mind is so raging with its connection to technology and and it's just it's overwhelming yeah it's no wonder that you know we're seeing spikes in all kinds of behavioral issues especially with children and I just think like you know that saying that you sometimes hear like about hustle like the hustle is real and I'm a hustler and you know there's almost like this badge of honor 
Yeah. You know, even within the yoga community, like to be a hustler. And I'm like, whoa, I don't want to be a hustler. I want to move slow. I want to dawdle as I walk through my house. And (laughs) like, those are my practices of of healing. And um, so making it cool or, or perhaps reminding people that actually the most healing practices are the ones that are the most simple. Mm. You know, mm. and this is one thing I think Norwegians do very well is spending time in nature. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, indeed. You know, and I, I think that uh, we see the trends of slow living in so many um, aspects of, of life. Norwegians, uh, one of the people that go out most in nature, hiking, you know, because nature is just here, you know, it's outside your door. So, um, but what do you say there, you know? Um, there will be more, you see, more prevalence of, of digital uh, addictions, you know, coming uh, onwards, I'm sure. And it is a big problem, you know. We don't, our brain is not um, created for this way of overexposure all the time to our nervous system, our perceptual systems. We need to pause. We need to have several pauses throughout a day. You know, we just, <laughs> the other day I was, with my, I was in Amsterdam with, with my family, and then I said to my son, I'm just going to go down in the garden here and, and, and sit. And I said, um, what are you going to do? I said, well, I'm just going to sit there and, you know, watch the leaves a little bit in the tree and just sit out for a while. I said, oh, you're going to be bored. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yes. Well, I guess so. Do you want to come with? It's like, yeah, sure. So that was at least a good thing. But yeah, you know, this, this being bored or just, Sitting and, and, and staring out into the nothingness, um, practicing, you know, that's, you know, mindfulness and yoga is definitely more formal versions of pausing uh, for the nervous system. So that's why it's so great and that's why it needs to go into the school system and, and everywhere. But I, I think that um, you're highlighting a very important point. We need to pause and we need to find ways to rest um, our nervous system, our body, heart uh, because it's going so fast yeah you know you see a lot of millennials also moving towards they wanted to grow their own food Uh, they wanted to do and live more slow living moving out on the countryside um, doing things differently than has been you know last few decades it's not sustainable to live um, in the way that has been well, back. Yeah. we've never seen society move this fast no. ever in history. And it's, you know, I speak for myself when I say I'm of an age where I didn't get my first cell phone until I was a freshman in college. Mm. I didn't have my first laptop until I was a freshman in college. And it was like a really big deal. It was the first university in the U.S. to have a laptop requirement for all yeah. incoming freshmen. And so we all thought we were super cool. We're like, oh my gosh, we have our laptops. And um, so since the time that I've been connected to yeah. today, 2018, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. all of my time has been wasted. I have yeah. been so distracted by these artificial um, mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And all of them are designed to bring us further away from source, not closer. Mm-hmm. And so it's really a struggle now when we talk about these practices of yoga and mindfulness and meditation, like we almost have an extra hurdle that we mm-hmm. have to get over before we can even settle into a space where we can mm-hmm. think about connecting to the breath to mm-hmm. hopefully s- slow the mind down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, you know, even if you can also just we see it as a, as a more uh, emergent um, sign that we really need to do these practices or we really need to practice pausing and resting. It's, it's essential. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know. Yeah. That's why I keep saying, you know, I want, I want to see mindfulness and yoga in schools. Yeah. Uh, see, uh, uh, you know, they have subjects on emotional health, um, because it's going to look very different uh, for the next few generations, for sure. All we can do is lead by example. Yes, totally. Yeah. So what, as we start to wrap up here, I just want to hear a little bit more about your training, the yoga fa- yogi facilitator. Is yeah. that something that you're going to continue doing and trying to educate people to integrate here in Norway? Yeah, so, so this training is now... Um, 
uh, it's international, so we, we you know we, we teach in English and every uh, material will be in English. Um, um, so my aim is just to help and support as many uh, yoga teachers, yoga therapists, and healthcare workers and, and coaches um, that I can uh, with me and Janice giving this program uh, to help you guys um, help other people uh, with these amazing practices. But then with um, being as skillful uh, as possible around emotional well-being and mental health. And do you feel like this is, I'm being really careful how I say this, do you feel mm -hmm. like there is, in Norway specifically, um, is there a demand for this type of education for people who are in the healthcare industry here? Yes, definitely. I think, you know, for the, the previous uh, trainings that I've held, um, I've had 75% um, healthcare workers. Oh, so, great. Yeah, yeah. But of course, I don't know how <laughs> exactly how that goes in the south of Norway. You know, now it sounds a little bit segregated. <laughs> but I know for sure that here in the northern regions, anywhere from, you know, f f specialized physiotherapists, nurses, um, psychologists, uh, medical doctors and psychiatrists, um, I've had them all in my trainings um, and smaller percentage from the south. That's obviously also because I've held the training in the past here in the north, but um, I see that the healthcare system is open for it, um, depends on the institution. I always, and this is also part of my training, you know, that you get to write out your project, uh, linking to uh, the right sources and evidence base to ensure that what you communicate with your leaders or the organization uh, where you're going to give your your intervention, that it's well updated. You know that it's it's according to uh, the guidelines of of um, the government. You know, uh, healthcare guidelines, uh, and also for the institutions. So, I you know I I, I see that it's both uh, yoga teachers, yoga therapists, and healthcare workers for sure. Well, I love to hear that and that optimism that, mm. you know, we can slowly start to perhaps offer a slightly different way. Yeah. You know, it's um, so important. It is. It is so important. So the last question I want to ask you is the question I ask everybody on the podcast. And this is basically everything we've been talking about. And the question is, uh, what or who would you be if you could get still enough and quiet enough to listen to the wisdom within? Who or what? Yeah. It can be a big answer. It can be a small answer. Yeah. I, you know, my immediate uh, reply is just me, you know, just me who, who, um, the essence of me in the core, I guess I'm still looking for that or <laughs> trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Who or what I would be. Yeah. Just, just be. Yeah. Yeah. That's an awesome question. It's a it's a pretty intense question. <laughs> it's a big one. Requires a little bit of thinking, which is um, you know, again, just another practice of yoga. Mm. That self-reflection. But um well, I want to thank you so much Kristen for being on this podcast and sharing your insights and all the amazing things that you're up to because I think again, it's just really wonderful to be seeing yoga and mindfulness and meditation intersecting with clinical medicine mm, mm. well thank you so much and thank you for creating this podcast i think it's a fantastic uh, contribution to uh, the scandinavian community and and onwards also internationally so thank you for doing what you're doing yes absolutely i again just how do we start that conversation well, thank you, Kristen, and I'm sure we will be in touch. Yes, for sure. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.